This is Living Proof Radio, May 2024. All of our full episodes are available on our Patreon with weekly drops, a Patreon-only radio show, and Living Proof magazine delivered to your house every issue, as well as our entire members-only library backlog. Patreon.com slash York. Okay, so here we are. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, bro. Yeah, thank you so much. Bro. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one of the things that really stood out to me that I wanted to talk about was this like general concept of having an open mind and not limiting yourself that I feel like you embody with how you approach your work because one of the main things you do, which is being involved in the fashion industry, a lot of companies, they approach it from a really one-sided perspective. They're very, uh, um, I guess you could say one-dimensional. Uh, we're about looks and maybe looks alone. Whereas you do a bunch of things that are really focused around sustainability, which gives it like a higher purpose. Uh, and using all of these technologies that are available to us, um, along with creativity and just discipline to make really like next level shit happen. Like you did a 3d printed shoes that can essentially like when you're done with them, you know, like deconstruct them and just fucking make whole new ones or your product, your, uh, your like collaboration with the department of sanitation and all this shit. Where did all this come from? This idea of, uh, sustainability and this like higher thinking. Yeah. I mean, so this all, this all just came from me being super curious. Um, it was a kind of a lot of things. It was me being real curious about kind of like creative opportunities. It was me being curious about where I could apply my energy. Um, I was, I was kind of, I was working for Nike at this, at the time. And I had been there working for like five years and I wanted to kind of move on and do something new, um, start a new job somewhere. So I had a mentor that I, um, that I really started to admire. I heard a talk of his at Parsons. So I went to Parsons and he was doing a whole entire talk, um, at, at my school. And I went to a lot of talks just to hear people talk about like their jobs. It was a lot of people who were like futurists, I had never heard of anyone with a title futurist, like what? So I would go to these talks. This guy was like talking about um, redesigning Australia's tax system. And uh, at the time I was like 21, um, super just green to living in New York city, green to culture, like design, you know, design culture. And so I thought design at the time was just like fashion design or, you know, graphic design or interior design. Um, I had never heard of anyone talking about design in the form of organization. He was talking about just redesigning Australia's tax system. And so I was like, holy shit, that's something super new that I had never been, you know, in, in, introduced to. So I wanted to kind of learn more from him. So we became mentor. He became a mentor of mine. His name is Daryl Ray. And one day, like at Nike, I was like, man, I want to move on and maybe start something new. And I saw, I spoke to Daryl and he was like, well, are you interested in only, only applying your, your design and your innovation only to art and fashion? Or are you like, would you be interested in maybe applying your design and your innovation to, you know, other issues in the world, maybe a wicked issue, maybe you might be interested in a wicked issue. Um, and so he was working in healthcare industry at the time. 
and he was kind of helping to solve a lot of the, the problems that the healthcare healthcare industry faces still to, to today, right? Like we see a lot of the issues with like the vaccine and like this pandemic we're going through and how messed up, you know, our healthcare industry is and how much support and I think innovation and creativity is needed to really help um, iron out all of the kinks. And so he saw someone like me, um, being super beneficial to helping solve some some of these wicked issues. At the time, I wasn't so interested in healthcare or uh, the healthcare industry. Just wasn't interesting to me at the time of a young twenty one year old skate kid into like New York City parties and shit. I just wasn't really inter interested in that. But I did feel like I was interested in wicked issues. I knew I cared about something that was super wicked in the world, um, but I hadn't really hadn't really identified that yet. But that question kind of really plagued me. I was like, what do I actually want to apply my design and innovation to? That's a wicked issue. That sounds really, you know, purposeful. That sounds really important and sounds really responsible. And so that question almost plagued me for like a year. Like when he hit me with that question, I was like, fuck, what, what, what do I want to do? And I wasn't really great at like really setting goals for myself. So like that question really kind of like plagued me for a while. Um, so, but I, I went on vacation one day with my girl and, um, and, you know, I'm swimming on this beach, we're having, you know, drinks and shit and we're, we go swimming and, and there's a plastic bag like floating in the water. And at that moment I was like, oh shit, like this is the wicked issue that I want to apply my design and innovation to. It's the environment. The environment is in such a wicked state. It needs a lot of our help to clean up, right? So I kind of kind of come in with this idea of like cleaning up beaches and kind of starting to clean up the environment using my resources and my community to really kind of help me help me achieve that achieve that new goal that I had just set. Um, and I was like, aha, that's the that's the answer to this question my friend asked me, my mentor asked me. And so at that at that very moment, I also remembered that I was really into like workwear and and I immediately thought about the Department of Sanitation. Like when they're out cleaning up the city, they're wearing workwear that I find really cool. And I use that as inspiration for my collections. And so I was like, wouldn't it be cool to do a collaboration with those guys and, and use this as an opportunity to help really raise awareness on sustainability and cleaning up the city. And so my idea was to do a t-shirt collaboration with the Department of Sanitation, only using vintage and secondhand t-shirts as the as as the the product to really emphasize recovering you know old materials and giving things a second a second chance at life and and i was like all right that's going to be the collaboration this is where i'm going to apply my design and innovation to is going to be working directly with the department of sanitation to really raise awareness on sustainability and the, and cleaning up the environment um you know that's that's the project i want to work on so when i got when i got back to new york i started to really uh, 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 approach the department of sanitation i really started to pursue this idea and so i think that's kind of how i ended up kind of being really interested in sustainability is because i was really trying to challenge myself to do something purposeful um, um in the world and it just kind of all the stars just kind of aligned but it started with me just having this kind of curiosity and this passion to just want to do something positive and it all kind of just found me um and so after that that kind of really kicked off my journey. So that kind of happened at the end of 2016. So when I got back to New York City, I approached the Department of Sanitation. I really tried to define 
the person who could help me make this idea happen, this t-shirt collaboration with the department of sanitation. Cause I, 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 I kind of had this vision of seeing like sanitation workers across New York city wearing like a hair and pressing collab, which I thought was going to be so fucking cool because at the time and still to, to, to this day, you really haven't seen like a fashion designer and like collaborate with like a waste management agency. Um, and so, you know, I had been doing some projects. I really wanted people to kind of really pay attention to this. So I, I really wanted to be like really unpredictable, kind of weird, but cool. And, and, but also really makes sense. And so I felt like this, this collaboration with sanitation workers was going, was going to be it. I could just really feel it. And so I finally got in touch with the DSNY through some luck, right? So there's also like a lot of kind of like things that we can control, but then there's other things that we can't really control. And that's kind of like the luck that just kind of happens to us in our lives. So, so the luck was, I was kind of getting no's here and there, like, you know, people maybe not wanting to introduce me to the right people in charge, but I didn't let go of the idea. It was really frustrating, right? Like, the, the process, you know, you really have to love the process as well. So I didn't get rid of the idea, it kind of just sat on the shelf of the back of my head for a while until I figured out how I could, you know, get into the doors of the DSNY. So I went down to NADA, which is this art festival. Um, it kind of happens during the same time as Freeze, but it's a lot more kind of like indie, like underground art. And, and my friends were hosting like this basketball tournament there. It was like the no wave guys. And, um, and I think I just went to use the bathroom. It was like halftime. And so I stumbled on this talk in the, in the convention center. And this talk was about the, the Department of Sanitation's artisan residency. And her name is Miro Ukulele. And, and, um, and I had been inspired by her work because she was doing all of this art performances with the Department of Sanitation dating back to like the 70s and the 80s. And when I discovered her work, I was like, holy shit, they've already done creative projects. So like a fashion designer approaching them won't be so weird, actually, because they have an artist in residence. So I was like, holy shit, that gave me a boost. I was like, wait a minute. I have to talk to Meryl. Like she's the one who will understand me and where I'm coming from. And she's the one who will green light this project that I want to do. Because if anyone will understand that like an artist or creative, it will be another artist, it will be another creative. So I went to find her. And, and so that's when I started to get these no's. Like, no, I don't, you know, I don't really know you. Like they were protecting kind of her privacy in a way. And so in the talk at NADA, this woman from the New York City, um, um, uh, what's it called? Pair. Um, artist in residency, public, public artist in residence, which, which is PEAR, which is a office in New York City that, um, sorry, I gotta plug my phone in, which is an artist, which is a agency in New York City that does all the public art in the city. So any public art you see around New York City, that is controlled and kind of organized by the PEAR office. So this woman from PEAR was doing a, a, um, a presentation about Merrill, the, the Department of Sanitation's artist in residence. And I was like, holy shit. I saw a big like projection, like a big presentation of, of Miro's face. It was like larger than life. I was like, that's the woman I've been trying to meet. Like, what is this? So I kind of snuck into the talk, wasn't invited. 
And I sat in the bleachers and it was a whole entire like hour long presentation about Meryl and her work. So after that talk, again, this is all the luck that's happening. After that talk, I approached the woman who was giving the presentation. I was like, you have no idea. Like I've been trying to meet this woman for the past year. I have a huge idea that I want to present and pitch to the Department of Sanitation. Like, can you put me in touch with the right people? I met her at like Soho House like the next day and sat down. I opened up my laptop and I had this whole entire like presentation that had been sitting in my computer for like a year. I was like, here's that present, like here's the ideas. And it had ideas about, you know, sustainability and 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 you know raising awareness on cleaning up the environment. It was this whole entire kind of like environmental kind of presentation with a collaboration um, in the mix, and then also an opportunity to fundraise and raise money for the city because I, I i i knew that with city and with budgets they experience a lot of budget cuts so if i could if i could present an idea to them that would help them make some money and raise some money for the city i felt like i would have a really great opportunity of sealing the deal so i had this kind of fundraising component to the t-shirt collaboration as well i was like well we're going to sell the t-shirts we'll raise money we can donate it back to the department of sanitation and, and so she was like, this is amazing. She introduced me to, to like the marketing team of the Department of Sanitation, like the PR team and all that. I went to their offices. I sat down, finally did my, my finally I got, finally a year later, I'm finally in the offices of the Department of Sanitation down at 125 Worth, Worth Street. And, um, and they loved it. They loved it. And funny enough, they had secretly always wanted to kind of do like a fashion show um, at the Goodwill because they have um, they have a relationship with the Goodwill and also with like housing works in New York City. So like the like the head head guy at the Department of Sanitation and a lot of these people who work at the, the DSNY are like lifers. Like you'll meet some people who have been there their whole entire like 40 years working. So the one guy who I met, he had been the one to approve Meryl and her work. And, and he was always really passionate. His name is Vito. He was always really passionate about pushing the spotlight onto sanitation workers because since the 70s, everyone's talk, spoken so much shit about sanitation workers. They stink like garbage or they're made fun of. Um, and, and they're kind of at the lowest of the lowest when it comes to city workers, right? Like firemen and, and police officers are kind of like revered, right? The, there's there's these, these people who are, who are celebrated, but then when it comes to the DSNY, they're not. Like everyone talks shit about these guys and they don't really get that much spotlight or shine. And so Vito always wanted to make them look the coolest in the city. So he was like, whatever we can do to make these guys look cooler than police officers and firefighters, we should do that. And so Miro was a part of kind of helping them shine a positive spotlight on, on the sanitation workers. She would do all these amazing art projects to help them kind of, you know, look as cool as possible. So he was the one who had been wanting to do a fashion show. And so when I approached him with my project, he was like, oh, you're the perfect guy that can help us bring this fashion show to life. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? You guys have been wanting to do a fashion show? Like, seriously? So like, again, like the stars aligning and some of that luck kind of striking and so I didn't really have to fucking pitch it anymore after that like they were on board and again since they always felt like they were like the lowest 
in the city, they were just like, dude, whatever you can do to make us cool, just go for it. So they greenlit every idea I had. There was no pushback at that point because they look at themselves as like a paramilitary group, like the military. So like once the commander in chief says go, everyone goes, like no one pushes back. So I'm like, man, I wanna fucking have all these concrete barricades that you guys put on the street at my event. And I want those to be like cocktail tables. So when people are drinking their drinks, they have these concrete blocks as tables. And then I was like, and they're like, all right, cool. Right, like they had never done anything like this before. So there was no pushback. There was no precedence. I was kind of setting it. I was like, I want these concrete blocks to be like my rack for the collection. They're like, all right. So literally like took out all these big ass bulldozers and these machines and they're shutting down the streets and they're moving all these heavy materials in place for this event. So the event was this kind of see now, buy now exhibition in, on Spring Street in Soho, like on the West Side Highway, they have a salt shed where they house just like tons and tons of salt for the winter season. And, and the event was originally supposed to be across the street in, in their office building, which is brand new. And I took a walkthrough and as I was walking through, I looked out the window, I saw the salt shed, which looked way cooler. It's like this big concrete structure with these jagged edges, which I, which I eventually found out is inspired by the shape of salt. Under a microscope, if you were to look, it's got all these jagged edges. So the architecture firm designed the building to look like salt. So I was like, let's go over there. Like, do you mind like we cross the street real fast? I just would love to like look in the garage. They like looked around at each other like, sure. Like, why do you want to go over there? I was like, let's just go over there. So we go over, we open up the garage and I see like mounds and mounds of salt. And it looked like the Sahara Desert. It was kind of brownish. And I was like, holy shit, like New Yorkers need to see this. Like I need to, I need to invite New Yorkers into this, into this environment because it was restricted. It's, it's restricted zone only for city workers. So if you're a civilian, which they call us, you're not allowed in there. But through my exhibition, I was able to allow the public in for the first time ever to see this salt shed and experience this environment. And, and so that's what we did. So they all agreed that we could have the event there. And it was in September before the snow season kicked off because they were like, if this were in like December or something, this would be totally shut down because the city would be getting ready to prepare for the snow season. So we got really lucky again that it was in September and we could use that space. And, and I had Meryl, so Meryl's work was also at that exhibition. I really wanted to kind of pay homage to her. So she did this big like garbage truck that has mirrors all on the side of the truck. Um, and that truck debuted in the 1983 like, or 84 New York Art Fair Parade. And it drove down the street. And as it drove down the street, you could see your reflection in that truck. And it was a message about like, we're all in this together. Right, like when you throw your shit away, you're not totally removed from, like you're still a part of this. We're all a part of this together. So I brought that truck out of the garage. It was in Queens and I put that in the middle of Spring Street and I work with the police department to get a permit to shut down the entire street. So that street was at the, that truck was at the entrance of, of the exhibition. So you had to walk through it to get inside. Um, and I worked with like Sims, which is North America's largest recycling facility, which is located here in Brooklyn. And I, and I'd work with them to bring in some like electronic waste 
um, bales of that, like old computers and cell phones all crushed up. Cause I really wanted to show people like what happens to our stuff when we get rid of it, where does it go? It doesn't just disappear, <laughs> like literally goes somewhere. And so I wanted to show, so I brought that out of like the landfill and brought that back into the street. And then I even worked with the Goodwill to, um, to bring bales of clothes, right? When we donate our clothes, when we get over our clothes, where does it go? It goes to a big warehouse and it's wrapped up in like a big block. And so I brought those big blocks of bales of clothes into the street as well. And I stacked them up really high um, to be like a step and repeat for photos, for photographs. So instead of like printing out logos everywhere, it was just like use clothes as, as the step and repeat. And all that was in Spring Street. So you kind of had to get through all of this like recovered like this waste to get to the new product, to get to the new stuff. And so along that pathway, I, I basically secured a bunch of old uniforms from sanitation workers as well. And I kind of put that up on a board that lined two walls as like the tunnel to get into the, the salt shed. So you had to kind of go through these very personal stories of workers. I had their boots at the bottom. So their boots, their uniform, their gloves, their hat, and I nailed it into this wall. So you had to kind of get through these personal stories. And at the end, those concrete blocks that were racks of clothes was the collection that I had upcycled. So it was a bunch of like donated t-shirts from housing works and the Goodwill, but also from sanitation workers. I got uniforms, which are government property that again, you can't get if you're a civilian, if you're public, you cannot get access to any of these uniforms. And before I knew that I actually tried to buy a hoodie from a uniform supplier online, paid my money, it was like 30 or 40 bucks, got my receipt. And then the product never came. <laughs> like the hoodie never came. <laughs> and it never came to the point I forgot I ordered it because I never came in the mail. And one day I woke up and like, wait a minute, where's that hoodie that I bought? And I followed up and they were like, oh, like, what is your, what is your worker number? And I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm just like a fan. Like, I was like, oh, we can't sell this to you. So I was like, fuck, like, how can I get access to this, this, this uniform hoodie? So through my project, I got to sell government property to the public. Um, and so all of these like hoodies and t-shirts and uniform shirts were all like, I washed them, I cleaned them, made them smell good. And I, I embroidered additional graphics. So if the guy, so if the sanitation worker's name was like on his uniform, like Heron Preston, I embroidered over it donated by because a lot of these guys donated their old uniforms to my project they didn't have to they weren't required to it was kind of out of the kindness of their heart and believing in this project that they gave me their old uniforms. so I really wanted to kind of spotlight those guys and I so I embroidered right over their names donated by and then I added more kind of additional graphics screen printing and embroideries and I kind of made those kind of feel relevant and new for the project again so that was kind of the collection that I resold to back to the to the city. And a lot of that money that we raised became a foundation, foundation for New York Strongest, which is still thriving today. Um, and so they kind of activate every kind of, they, they do something called refashion NYC, which kind of happens like either sometimes before or after New York City Fashion Week, there's refashion NYC, which is more of kind of like the like sustainable kind of like expression of fashion week that the department sanitation hosts with housing works, I think. Um, and so, so we started the foundation out of this project as well, um, which continues to kind of help raise awareness on the environmental issues that New Yorkers face. I'm getting all the New Yorkers kind of rallying behind 
this this message. Um, and it was also about zero by 30. So the mayor's office and the Department of Sanitation came together to kick off the zero by 30 initiative, which aimed to send zero waste to landfills by the year 2030. So they really looked at me as kind of like, you know, a partner to help kind of bring these initiatives and these, these ideas that they had to life through more of, I think, kind of a culturally relevant, you know, exercise with, with this collaboration, which we call Uniform. And so, so that kind of kicked off my journey. Long story short, <laughs> that kind of was the beginning of all of what I'm up to now. Um, and, and I've kind of, you know, kind of been driving from a point of passion, continue to kind of push my, my own kind of like practice um, to, to just learn more. A lot of this shit is about learning, right? Cause it's so complex and it's kind of new in a way for most people, especially for myself for the past couple of years, it's just like learning what is sustainability? How can you be sustainable? And, and who are the right partners to kind of help you kind of push these boundaries? So that's been a part of my journey as well as like identifying partners who are, you know, kind of pushing it and and solving these 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 problems that that we face these very kind of large problems that we face and i always saw myself as a designer being a part of the problem and i was like wait a minute i don't want to be a part of the problem how can i be a part of the solution how can i start to kind of figure this stuff out and what's really cool is that it's super creative it allows you to be really creative because there is no right or wrong there really isn't there isn't like kind of one way to be sustainable there's not literally like there's so many ways to be sustainable there's so many ways to apply your creativity to how you do it, depending on kind of what point you are in your, your brand, right? If you're year one versus year 20, your sustainable kind of strategy will be totally different um, than the person who's been doing it forever, right? And so you also have to just really, I think, be, be kind of open, open to learning about this stuff and, and um, learning from others around, around you. So I started kind of, you know, looking at, you know, internships and apprenticeships. Um, one of them was with this designer named Eileen Fisher, who I don't, I'm not sure if you guys know about her, like our moms and grandmas wear her brand, but, um, but she was one of the most dedicated and passionate and ambitious designers who incorporated sustainability into her brand like 30, 40 years ago. And she has her studio up in like Irvington, New York upstate. So I was like, yo, I wanna learn from you. How do you do it? And so I went up there for one whole week and I was really kind of like a sponge absorbing as much information from her tiny factory, which is what she calls it, which is a recovery program. So all the clothes that she sells and puts out into the world, when someone no longer wants it, she recovers it. She takes it back and she sells it again. <laughs> and so she keeps kind of this circular cycle going. If, 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 and so when she started taking that shit back, she started noticing, she started seeing shirts that she sold 30 years ago. And she got, she got to see how they, how they kind of broke down over time. And, and this is information that a lot of designers may not necessarily have because they don't do take back programs. They don't, they don't know how their shirts perform over 30 years. She, she does. So that informed her design team. So she started seeing like armpit stains. And so that started to inform her design team to make replaceable like armpit panels. So when she recovers them, she can take the arm panels out and replace them and they're new again and she sells it. And then maybe 30 years later, she can do that again. So it's all about kind of keeping your resources and your materials and all of your, your clothes, your, 
into, into the cycle because what we as like humans are kind of, we are grown up to look at like life as kind of like a linear kind of like in a line, right? So you, you, you like buy something and it only moves and you throw it away and it, into a landfill. But in like sustainability, it's like, how do you kind of bring it all the way back to the beginning over again? And it becomes this circle. And so it's called circularity. And that's something I've been learning about that I had no idea about. And that comes from like being inspired by nature. When you look at like a tree or something, plant life, when it falls, like if a, if a branch or like a leaf or a seed falls down to the ground, it doesn't just go to waste. It, it nourishes the trees next to it and that gives it more life or it might grow a whole new tree. And so it never goes to waste. It's always kind of being kind of regenerative in this like circular motion. And so like, that's kind of what we're really trying to achieve in fashion, which is when you mentioned like that sneaker earlier is when no one wants to wear the 3D printed shoe, you can break that material down and print a whole new shoe so that that doesn't that doesn't get wasted. So it's a lot of these kind of like concepts that I've been kind of like studying and trying to grasp. And then how do I apply that into my brand? And so like after I did that Eileen Fisher project or not project, but like apprenticeship, I was really inspired by her take back program, her tiny factory. And I started HP redesign, which is kind of my version of like this upcycling kind of division of Heron Preston. So one of the projects I did was um, I had this tarp that was printed up in my showroom in Paris. Um, and it's this big PVC tarp that we see all around New York when people are like trying to advertise shit. And after my, my presentation, my showroom in Paris, that tarp went to, to storage facility. Like what happens to things in storage facility? They just collect dust. And the, one of the worst things you can do is when you make something is never use it. Like that's super wasteful. So I was like, all right, for HP redesign, I want to take this tarp out of storage, cut it up and turn it into bags. And so that's what I did. We turned this tarp into bags, camera bags, and I, and I sold those. And then the second project was this, um, this, this project called Jump, which was um, a collection made from decommissioned military grade parachutes. So I did a whole entire collection of like uh, of jackets and pants and um, bags and backpacks and tote bags, all made from parachutes. And Essence up in, up in Montreal launched that project. And so this was kind of like HP redesign upcycling, all inspired by what I had learned with Island Fisher. So it's a lot of kind of like me kind of like learning new things out in the world and then applying that to my, to my brand to just continue to push what I'm learning. Um, and so that's kind of what I've been up to season after season. I'm always kind of investigating kind of like new materials or new partners. I did a project with Hewlett Packard, which is all about packaging because packaging can be so terrible. When you look at plastic, we all fucking hate plastic, especially when it ends up in our oceans and suffocating, you know, aquatic life. So I was looking at how to replace plastic packaging, poly bags, because a lot of our t-shirts and hoodies and everything is packaged in these, po these plastic poly bags to be shipped to retailers. And these poly bags are used to kind of really protect you know, garments from damage or getting dirty. So we need the packaging, right? We need it, but how, how can we replace it from plastic? So I work with HP um, to identify kind of new solutions there. So the packaging we identify was made from wood pulp, literally like wood pulp cellulose that looks like plastic. It's see-through, it's transparent, but it's not plastic and it's fully biodegradable. You can biodegrade at your house if you wanted to. 
And so that was the project I did with HP. And so we presented all that work down in Miami Art Basel at the Plastics Museum. And I sat on this panel with like the mayor of Miami and some other really amazing people. And we spoke about this project. So again, it's like me just kind of identifying different partners with, with you know, not I was gonna say within fashion, actually none of them are in fashion. I'm inviting them into fashion because a lot of these solutions don't really exist in fashion, right? We're all just artists and the creatives and trying to enhance reality. And, and there's really smart people in the world, like scientists and engineers who are doing really amazing shit, but they're not cool. No one's paying attention to them so much, except for their other science friends and their other engineering friends. But for young people to really kind of get on board, they need to hear it through the voices that they find a lot more relevant and relatable. So I looked at myself as that kind of person, that leader, to kind of help take things outside of fashion and dop them into fashion and then make them look really cool and then share that with my community in hopes that other people will start to be as curious as I am. And yeah, I think I mean, that's kind of what I've been up to. Yeah, that's it's honestly so amazing. And what I'm hoping is that what you do becomes a more common thing amongst a lot of people in the fashion industry, because uh, something that I really love and I've always found really interesting about fashion is like, the idea of a trend really catching on like I know that when a uh, champion was a brand it was doing really bad for a long time and then they came up with the idea of putting a hoodie on top of like a regular crew neck sweatshirt and everyone was like what the why would you ever wear that and then it blew up and now every company ever if you're a clothing company you you make a hoodie um but at one point champion set this off or like a life at one point it wasn't a thing for like a uh, streetwear to do collabs with completely out of out of fashion companies and now that is the norm uh you do collabs yeah. because these these founders set it off or like when nike did the did the foam posit like they changed the standard of like what is possible in certain in certain aspects of clothing and this is something that is different because collaborations and uh maybe like a different accessory onto your onto your sweatshirt like a hoodie is one thing but then approaching it to a, a point where you can do sustainability if that catches on it's like there's no limit to where you could take this because these yeah. companies have so much money so much resources like you said we got scientists fucking engineers and shit where you can 3d print a shoe and then crumple it up into a thousand pieces plastic made out of wood pulp and i hope that my hope is that you know as our society grows and our technology keeps growing with it and kind of like like digging our own graves with the technology when we could use that same technology that we're digging our own grave with environmentally to save us. You know what I mean? Which is essentially like one of the things that is your thing. Like that's what you're doing and you're doing it from like a lot of aspects. It's not just like the, the paying homage and like real, like appreciating the beauty and like the department of sanitations, like something so simple as like the uniform, but also like the fucking salt warehouse, like, it takes an open mind to look at these things and give a shit because a lot of people like I've seen those salt things like near uh, like the LES park, like down the block, there's yeah. a huge salt yeah. thing, but I've never like stopped to really think like this is something people should see, blah, blah, blah. And through the avenue that you're taking it, you can really open the eyes to people to the beauty and importance of certain things that other people otherwise wouldn't. Yeah. And also like you approaching a waste management system, of like with a fashion background i can only imagine what they thought because like i'm a plumber personally and i can only imagine like people 
with suits from the fashion world coming onto my job site and being like, yo, I love your aesthetic. Like, would you want to model for me? I'm like, yo, <laughs> so unexpected. Like all I work around yeah. is like, I don't want to cut ass on them, but like, you know, like out of shape, drunk dudes, I just talk about the same thing every day. And I'm like, dude, this is like a whole different world coming into here. And like, they're interested in us. I thought we were forgotten. And like, like you said, yeah. like sanitation for a long time was pictured as like the bottom tier where like, you know, yeah. it's in, like in that movie, Notorious with Biggie Smalls. Uh, I remember in the class, mm -hmm. she was like, oh, um, like you make less money than like a teacher. Like you're going to be a garbage man. You know, like it's always yeah. like this thing they compare it to. Like if, if like a mother says, oh, if you don't go to college, you're going to be a garbage man. You know, it's always that thing on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> using your um, like fashion resources to like show that world mm -hmm. some light. And um, I think one of the slogans of the sanitation is like zero waste, like like shit like that like sustainability yeah right? I mean, so you're yeah. shining light on that and approaching like you said a bottom tier company it's like amazing you know and uh, yeah it's because you think like the fashion world i think a lot of people when they picture it it's like this clean and cut like people in suits and so approaching a waste management system it's like you said the smelly dirty like blue collar like you know ayo mm -hmm. you know people it's uh it's amazing to think outside the box do you think that's the success yeah. nowadays with the fashion world is like truly thinking outside the box like doing what nobody has ever done like yeah yeah it's like you know it's it's <clears throat> yeah it's like it the thing with the sanitation workers is that we all forget that they actually keep our city clean and healthy. And without them, we would not be able to live in New York City. But I don't think we all take that for granted. And we probably never, never made that connection in our brains. Is that like New York City, the city that we all love. I'm not from here. I'm from San Francisco. I moved here because I love New York City. I grew up watching it in the movies, listening to music. And a lot of us are transplants in the city. But we all forget that these guys are making it livable. Because imagine no one picking up your trash. <laughs> like we would all get sick. We would literally get sick. And that was the history of New York City's relationship with waste dating back before we had a DSNY. There was trash all over the streets. People were getting sick and dying. And one of the health officials of the city was like, wait a minute. He, collect, he, he connected cleanliness to, to life. And he was like, if we clean up the city, New Yorkers will live longer. And so that's when all of a sudden they decided to get a sanitation department. Um, and so the logo is a caduceus, which is what you normally see on like ambulances. It's that like cross that has like that snake kind of growing around it. And so, but that's a health symbol. And so that's why the department of sanitation has a health logo for their logo. Um, but when it, when it comes to kind of doing things that had never been done before, like that was also something that I kind of became really fascinated with when I used to work at Nike. One of my bosses there was like, NBDB ideas. That's all I want to see in your plans. NBDB ideas, NBDB standing for never been done before. And so I've always been kind of really interested in kind of like delivering these like NBDB ideas. And so that also, that also came from, you know, the, the why I wanted to do the DSNY project. I was like, this has never been done before. Um, it's going to be so kind of unpredictable. And I really wanted to kind of surprise people. I was really kind of bored as well with like seeing kind of so many typical collaborations being done. And so I was like, I'm going to fuck everybody up and I'm going to do something that's so unpredictable. Like they're, they, it, you can't help it, but like pay attention to what's going on here. And it happened and it worked like Anna Wintour gave us a gave us a uh, a spread in vogue 
which was the first time ever that sanitation workers graced those pages. Um, firemen had been invoked before. Police officers had been invoked before, but sanitation workers had never been there. So again, I think through my voice and through the project that we were able to pull off together, people all of a sudden started to pay attention who had never paid attention in the past before. So, so that's why I, I really wanted to kind of also, you know, really, you know, do something I'd never been done before because I always felt that it would really get under people's skin and people would really pay attention to this. And it, I mean, that was in 2016. And we're still talking about it today because I find it super fascinating. Like, again, these kind of, these two worlds coming together and what we managed to do and, um, and yeah, man, like I was really, I was really just kind of happy that we were able to pull this off because the city really kind of really appreciated and really felt it. Yeah. I mean, another thing that is interesting to me is this idea of like uh, business and, and money and capitalism is like, there's an idea in, a, in the, uh, in the minds of a lot of people that it's like a zero sum game. Like there will be someone who is tormented like a lot by someone making money. Um, for example, in the minds of a lot of people, you don't like, the economy we have now, you don't make money as a businessman or an entrepreneur. You don't make a lot without, let's say, absolutely destroying the environment and then like diminishing the the working class. You have to destroy both to make money for yourself is the idea. But with creativity and an open mind and the technology we have now, there is literally all three can win. You can do good for the environment. You can do good for yourself. And then you can do good for the working class because um, essentially you can improve the lives of all these people and these people who m maybe buy the, the collabs that you make or the clothes that you make is you're not forcing them to buy it. They buy it because they're getting something. It's a trade. They're, they're giving you money and then they're getting something in return. And if you're not destroying the environment and if you're, if any, if anything, like improving it and then opening the minds of a lot of people to these possibilities, you're just making a uh, long story short, you're just making the world a better place for future generations through the avenue of fashion. And I think what's important for people to realize is that this is not something that is uh, like exclusive to fashion. You can do this mm. through pretty much any means. It's not as if fashion is the only means. You can make it a win-win-win situation through whatever business or hobby or passion that you pursue. Yeah. If you approach it from a different standard, of course, maybe before you or like these, these uh, people who are doing things that have never been done, the idea is like, how could you ever do that? You, you do this, you destroy the environment. That's it. Like it's one or the other, but really yeah. it's not one or the other. Yeah. It's not one or the other. It, 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 you know, there's, there's, you know, you can find all these harmonious ways to, to coexist. Um, and yeah, to your point, it doesn't have to just be fashion. You can apply this type of thinking to any industry. You spoke about plumbing, talk about water conservation here, right? Like talk about water. You can talk, talk about architecture. You can talk about, um, you know, you can talk about, uh, re, you know, renewable energy spaces, solar power. You could talk about food and, and no longer food going to waste. Um, you know, you could talk about farming and regener regenerative soil, right? This will ensure that you can grow healthy crops for generations to come, all right? You can apply this thinking to so many different, different industries. It's not just for fashion. And that's, again, what I meant by it being so fascinating, so creative, like you can really apply this across, across the board. You can apply it to how you live in your own home, 
right? Like there's so many ways that you can, you can adopt this kind of like, you know, this, this type of thinking. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, just to start closing it off, because I know you're a busy person and I appreciate your time and stuff. Um, what do you have planned for the future in terms of just these crazy fucking ideas that you come out with, like seemingly out of nowhere? And then also, if you were to have a message to all these, you know, fashion is a huge thing, especially here in New York City. It's like so many people are interested in it. And a lot of people like to make their own like to make their own stuff. What would you say to these people and uh, just your plans for the future? Yeah, I mean, what I would say is just like continue to just have fun, try to have fun with it and continue to have an open mind and stay curious, um, try to learn as much as possible and have fun with it, connect with people who are doing it, learn from them. Um, and, and just, I think, you know, just really, again, just have fun with it and be curious. That's all I can really, really can't stress that enough. You know, I remember when I, the first, one of the first days I worked at Nike, um i like left my desk probably went to go get a bag of chips or something i don't know came back and there was a printout on my desk and the printout said once you lose your curiosity it's over and and i'll never forget that i'll never forget that and 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 it really hit me because that's again when i said that was like one of my first days on the job that reminded me why they hired me, right? They were like, we don't need someone who's really kind of like bored in a marketing position to be working for Nike. Like we hired you because you're a super curious guy and we want you to keep that. Because once you, if you lose that, like you're not gonna, you're not gonna be motivated. You're not gonna be able to come up with any cool marketing plans if you're not curious. And so curiosity is just so important. Um, and then just, Again, I love to have fun. I love to play and and share that with my friends and share that with my community. So, I mean, those two things are really important. And just, I think, have a hunger to, like, learn. Knowledge is power. Like, that's that's the saying we all know. Like, it's just so important to just kind of – because what you can fall into is greenwashing, which is something else we haven't spoken about today. Greenwashing being a term, which means that you're, like, basically doing it fake or you're not doing it from a very authentic place or, or you're not doing it at all. You're completely fucking lying to the entire world that you're sustainable and you're not. And so then that introduces this idea of transparency, showing people inside and out, like what you're doing. And you kind of can compare that to like an open air kitchen. Like when you go to a restaurant, you can see the chefs cooking your food. You feel a lot more kind of comfortable that like, you know, the food is clean. They're washing their hands. You can see it all. If they drop food on the ground, you can see that. There's a lot of transparency there that makes you feel really comfortable. But with brands, they hide a lot of that stuff. They cover it where you can't see anything. So they can tell you whatever they want to tell you, right? So then that becomes greenwashing. And then that becomes very fake. And then that becomes very dangerous for the environment as well. So you have to be, you know, you have to, you have to be, you, you, that, you can do that accidentally as well because you just may not know if you're doing something wrong or, you know what I mean? And so you really have to educate yourself and you really have to learn about this stuff. Um, so you don't fall into the trap of greenwashing it either. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's, that's really the advice is to educate yourself, learn as much as you can. Um, you know, if you, if you, if you read, pick up a book, if you don't like to read, then watch some YouTubes. 
um, you know, go to some events and hear people talk. If you're a visual person, you know, just go and look for things um, and, and then incorporate it into your practice. So it's all about action, man. Like we talk so much, people talk so much, but no one ever does anything. Um, you have to act on it as well. You have to apply this to your brand, to your job, to your living. And then it becomes real. And so, and, and I think to have that kind of the courage to just kind of throw yourself in the fire, just hit the ground running, maybe unsure of how it will turn out. And I think that's a part of, again, of the process. It's all about the journey and, and falling in love with that journey. There's ups and downs, right? Like the world isn't perfect good and evil exist. there's always going to be ups and downs, but that's a part of getting to that goal. That's a part of getting to that end um, where you can finally celebrate. And so, you know, you just got to appreciate kind of the work that's going to go into this as well. And again, have fun doing it. <laughs> Yo, it's, uh, words of wisdom. Knowledge definitely is key. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope, I think people are really going to enjoy this and the ideas that you presented throughout this and your mindset of how you go about your work. So thank you so much for uh, coming on the yeah, show, man. For sure. Honor, man. Thanks thank so much, so guys. Much yeah. This. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Peace, peace. All right. Peace. Later.